Hello and everybody and welcome to another edition of the Ferncast. I'm with Andy Barr, who is the head of Barr Non, um, an engineering firm specifically dealing with robotics and nuclear power, uh, the nuclear industry, uh, based out of Appleby in uh, Westmoreland. Um, Andy, thanks for joining us today. No problem. So Andy, can you tell us more about what Barnon is and what you do and how you started? So we were set up in 2007 because I was sick of working for somebody else in Leicestershire and uh, I wanted to try and get to a point where I had a own business in uh, Cumbria because that's where I wanted to spend my time. Um, and so 2007 I worked... Uh, Two jobs. I worked full time for him and then full time for myself, so I was pretty busy. And I did that for kind of about two years uh, before we parted company. In that time, uh, we made a flavouring system to uh, flavour cheesy watsits and bacon fries and scampi fries, uh, and um, to try and save the amount of uh, flavour usage that uh, Pepsi-Cola was uh, burning through at a vast rate of knots, uh, really all over the world. But um, at that time, I didn't realise how uh, it might work. And uh, I believe now the system that um, I helped design um, is now global and, and all kind of oily crisps that Pepsi-Cola make, they use that, that system to flavour it. So as well as doing that, um, I looked at a fishing system to catch scallops, which uh, morphed over the neck till 2012, from 2007, morphed into uh, catch handling systems, um, deck safety, crew safety, um, and getting the fish, whatever they were fishing for, all kinds of shellfish, uh, into the boat and in, to a point where they could put it in the hold and call it catched. Um, so that that's kind of what we did. And in those early years, we were very much kind of trade to trade again kind of company, um, pushing ourselves into two markets. The um, snack foods kind of failed for a number of reasons um, so it was really just purely exclusively trying to get uh, um, fishermen to purchase our gear Right. I think that um, um, there was a realisation uh, with uh, getting married and having a child that um, that rock and roll lifestyle of fishermen and having naughty fishermen that wouldn't pay you and uh, also um, trying to get timely product to a boat coming in on the dock so it can go out again as fast as it possibly could um, uh, was quite stressful well, it wasn't so stressful it was difficult it was a, you know you rely on couriers every single day and it was you know you could spend two hours chasing a courier um, you know uh, it, it was painful but we had some volume, you know, we, we were turning over, I don't know, about six or 700,000 at that particular point in time, and it was profitable to a degree, provided you could get paid. But those, all of those things kind of um, made it that I had to look at a different industry, and I had to look for something else that we could do um, as well at that point in time. It was kind of a me too thing. Um, and um, we got an inquiry from a nuclear power plant that had a uh, problem with uh, dredging uh, um, nuclear waste out the bottom of a tank. And uh, we'd done something, uh, a quad bike pulled cockle fishing system, um, which didn't really work. Um, and it was the idea was that you could illegally drive the 
quad bike or with his pieces of equipment onto a beach and, and get cockles. Um, but it didn't work and it got thrown into the corner of the workshop. But, and there was a kind of a light bulb moment when I was asked for a system to pick up these this nuclear sludge that you know I now know is the case um, and uh, it <laughs> um, effectively um, switched me on to the fact that something that I'd produced in one industry might be uh, really great in another right so there's um there's a lot of crossover there, is there? Sure. I mean, we, we, we produced the piece of equipment back in 2012, and uh, it was 96% efficient on its first run out. Um, in its first deployment, which was 2014, it saved the UK government 14 million in 70 days. Wow. And so uh, um, um, that really made me focus uh, on uh, um, uh, that industry to try and understand about you know what else we could do there because we had such a great success and um, it appeared to me and uh, it was the right decision in hindsight now in uh, 2023 um, that nuclear uh, regulators and tier ones and tier twos didn't actually ever do anything they, How do you mean? How do you mean? I mean, they, they, they manage a site and they and, and they um, they do um, the basics very very well. They ensure that uh, um, things happen, but they're not really technologists. And really, anything that uh, is going to um, really affect change um, beyond a baseline needs to be a new new thought out thing. Um, and so. Um, but all of that comes with a, a cost of um, um, confidence. So it's really difficult for uh, the US government, for example, to think that a, a little company in Appleby uh, might be able to give them the solution that they really need mm -hmm. and then spend money doing it. Um, that confidence thing runs through all of nuclear everywhere because you have people with money that want to spend the money um, but really need to understand that they're not wasting it because they'll have had lots of experiences in their life where they would have wasted it with a, a number of different things in a number of different ways. So that confidence thing was uh, w was difficult, but given the fact we had a, a what I thought was a major success was actually really just a little minor success, um, as uh, um, somebody abroad might look at it. Um, I then um, effectively tried to market our wares. I spent an awful lot of money travelling around the world trying to uh, get in front of people, and I had a style a style that would work for fishermen. And that was a different style that would normally be uh, um, exhibited to... Uh, Do you mean, is that different to corporate style? Yeah, it's, it, uh, I'm not a corporate individual. I'm, um, I'm more corporate perhaps than I was. But there I was like this rough, raw kind of equipment provider that had confidence that he could do the job. Do you think it's... Um, do you think the way you, you tackled the industry um, and... You know how you say you got in front of people. Was that do you think because of your upbringing and where you're from? Um, um, that's a really good question. I'm quite commercial in my natural ability, um, and I think that uh, I'm also relatively headstrong and and quite confident. And so those two attributes um, would 
um, shine through I think in, in my dealing um, and the sense of value and the sense of making my customer um, a success also got through and so um, at high levels um, I was an interesting character um, that they felt that they could maybe um, let's say give us half a million of work to see if we we're getting the right thing at the right time and you know give us a little bit of a trial out and of course we managed to get that, that those sorts of fundings and, uh, and and we did well and where where has Barnon gone from there then so in 2012 we were really immature company with uh, no quality. We thought we had quality. Yeah, we thought we were doing a great product. Uh, indeed, we probably were, but we had no QA behind it, no backup. Now, um, we turn over something in the region of six to eight million pounds a year-ish, but we're growing we'll have 200 to 300 million of inquiries that we're working through at the present time right and is that international international yeah. wow um we have embedded ourselves in um high importance jobs around the world and are currently working with a number of governmental um uh, organizations to try and achieve their ambitions right um, most of the stuff we do, um, uh, I can't really talk about. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, but uh, um, we're trying to target environmental potential, not disasters, but potential uh, contamination events and, 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 and stop them happening. And that's across the world, is it? Across the world. And the technology that you use, um, it's become well known that you guys have robotics um, and you develop your own robotics uh, here. So can you tell me more about that? So we started producing end effectors. And what are they? An end effector might be something that would pick up uh, radioactive sludge. Right, okay. It might be something that cuts some metal. It might be something that um, um, scoops something and, and then places it somewhere else. And all of these end effectors were, were great, and I, th and I really thought that that was the, the thing to do. But in the end, you can't put, generally, a person near this stuff, because it'll hurt them. Yes. And so you've got this great end effector, but how do you deploy it? Really difficult. So that made us look at the deployment method of our tool so that we could offer our client an end-to-end -end solution because mm -hmm. we couldn't sell an end effect if we couldn't put it into the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so that made us focus on deployment methods, which ended up us looking at um, partnered um, robotics and finding that they either wouldn't work for a length of time in the radiation fields that we were working in, or they needed modification to do a, 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 a B, C, not an X, Y, Z, um, which then forced us into a position where we needed to, um, if we're gonna um, alter a robot, well, why don't we make our own that can just go and do it? And then 
we were lucky because at that time there was specific calls out uh, for robotics in nuclear. Um, the first one... And, and that, that wasn't a thing before then? Well, there, there's, there's been lots of robotics in nuclear, but right. typically they'd failed or they hadn't been used because whoever built them didn't really listen to the client requirement. Or they were uh, mechanical robots that um, didn't have the resolve that you can get with modern technology. And so these calls went out and we effectively, if you look at the whole thing, um, we, uh, we created a consortia um, which um, was us, uh, just a, a number of SMEs really, where we were the lead. And we had a vision for doing nuclear decommissioning in a particular way. And uh, the government um, ran a series of competitions um, and they've probably in robotics spent 11 million with us over the past um, five years, something of that order. And um, there was a, a, a call called IAND, which had a number of phases, um, which is about 30% of that, of that volume of that money. Um, 200 companies, uh, including people that work for NASA, and uh, um, large tier ones, tier twos, uh, all found the um, collaboration partners and created a number of teams. I think at the, there was 34 teams that initially bid, 34 down to 14. Uh, 14 down to 5, 5 down to 2, and now to 1. And we are the um, singular in IAND uh, company delivering that through all that process. So in the UK specifically? In the UK specifically. Right. So on that, what innovations has uh, Barnon done um, in terms of throughout all your different projects that you do? Too big a question. <laughs> um, um, so, well, go on, just, so, just pick one off at random then. Um, if you exclude all the innovation done for picking up radioactive waste, which we've got a very mature um, um, uh, position with, um, but I can come back to that. Um, we've taken robotics and um, used hydraulics Right. and electromechanics in a way that's different and novel. Okay. And we've given power to end effectors on robotics, and power could mean strength, it could mean um, mechanical resolve, it could mean just physically the ability to pick something up or um, be radiation tolerant. And so we, we've taken standard robotics and then shifted it up uh, uh, a gear in terms of power but also in terms of operating system so we've developed our own operating system which has a live digital twin so it uh, uh, we can scan a room losing a lidar scanner and we continually scan the room and then we put it that into unity which gives you puts you into a vr space and then you can see a, a virtual reality model of actually what's there and, wow. and then you can use that to understand your environment without being in it and create actions that have safety critical outcomes uh, to enable the robot effectively to do the right thing at the right time. And how have these been received in the market and everything? Uh, have they been 
massively impressed and stuff by this? Um, we deal in a very, very conservative market. Um, but because we're doing multiple things in, at multiple sites around the world and we're being successful at them, then it's helped the client open his eyes to um, advancements. Now, we're probably the one of the only companies in the world that have this live digital twin that enables you to do stuff and understand your environment. Um, lots of people have LiDAR scanners that can scan and you can go into a VR and you can have a digital twin and wander around. So most of the clients like that and, and understand that how that would work and it, so it's progressively become an easier step to control the machine in there but in 2016 when we first got our teeth into it people pretty much thought we were going crazy <laughs> and didn't and didn't really understand what we were trying to do right it was a, a step too far for them to understand so um in terms of uh, the local area, so you are probably the most advanced company in Appleby and probably the wider area in terms of technology, I would assume. Um, we have some competitors in certain bits, so you know. Okay, well, uh, but in terms of the local area, how has the impact of Barnon been, for example, on Appleby and the local community? What 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 has your organisation done? You know, with the local, has it spurred people to move here? Has it, you know? Where is your crew from? Uh, have you know? Have you brought them internationally? How how is it impacted in that sense? Um, we spend three million a year on bought-ins, probably, and that ranges from meetings that we have here with international clients and national clients, and buying lunches at the local bread shop. Um, through to having a corporate gift, which is uh, a mug that's made by uh, some uh, um, person, lady at Broom Hall, right. um, through to um, the acquisition of uh, the Cumberland Westmoreland Herald, which I wouldn't have been able to do without um, Barnon being profitable. Oh, we'll talk about your media enterprise in a second. Yeah. And so... Uh, um, uh, and also we have 77 people um, that work for us, not all in the local area. We have remote working and working workers that work abroad. Okay. Um, um, but if you, th if you would consider that we'd have at least 40 people that are directly working for us that are supporting their own families, so most families consist of three, so I, I don't know. I guess there's 120 right. um, uh direct people that we um, we, we influence and um, our wages are, are significantly beyond the uh, um, national average by some I, th I think our, our average is 48,000 uh, a year uh, is our average salary for a person mm -hmm. in the organization so we're not providing a low cost um, uh, um, employment we're providing high value uh, employment. And do you think um, there's uh, because of the organisation being here um, has that spurred on local kids and local community to get more involved or you know do you do you have like a fast track you know training young engineers or potential engineers? So the trouble with our organisation 
is that in the growth trajectory that we've got at the current time, I need the right skill at the right time. Right. And although we have had some real successes with some young engineers, um, only a few have come from inverted commas local lads. Right. Okay. Um, we only have two young people working in the shop floor, um, and uh, they've gone through a whole upskilling. So, uh, one one guy in particular couldn't hold a welder uh, when he started, and now he's fabricating um, first class welded two nuclear grade two standard fabrications, Brilliant. including robotic fabrications. And so he came to us at about seventeen year old. He's twenty three now. So uh, in terms of upskilling the people we have here yet yeah, um, we, we, we're doing that with you know some employees have gone to colleges to um, what do you call it uh, improve specific areas of uh, uh, the game as it were mm. um, also um, we've had quite an ingress of uh, people to come and work for us mm -hmm. so people have moved up from London to come into the area to uh, uh, take a role um, some people have come from West Cumbria into the area for a role some people still travel from Lancaster and uh, um, Stockton, um, Stockton. Tea, tea, tea side. Mm -hmm. um, um and it's helped with the ability to uh, um, teams and all that all that stuff that, that came from the pandemic means that you can you know you can work with somebody effectively um, and uh, um, uh, not have to be sat in the premises you know one of the one of the key issues uh, rural communities have and especially for companies and specialized companies like yours is retention of talent right so have you faced challenges there you know um, retaining talent in this area or has it been you know quite straightforward um that's a difficult question because Typically, people that are ambitious um, use companies to grow, and it's unusual for a company and a person to grow at the same rate, a little bit like a marriage. And so I think naturally um, people um, come and work at the environment and then look to try and improve themselves, and often they use a, a, another set of employment to do that. I think one of the new, unique things that we have here is that we're growing pretty quickly and um, it's at the most challenging end of work and so therefore um, engineers that really want to achieve stuff uh, and be autonomous and, and, and da, 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 have the ability to do that here. So when a person fits into our team um, then uh, um, um, we um, have not had too much difficulty in keeping them within bar none. However, the event of uh, BAE Systems and uh, Sellerfield, both vying for talent, mm -hmm. um, means that we've got to um, pay over the going rate. So disproportionately, I mean, Cumbria has, as you mentioned, Sellerfield and BAE is down what, uh, Preston away. Um, well, Barrow. Yeah. Barrow, yeah, as well. Um, but, yeah, so Cumbria technically has a very high percentage of high-end technology companies. Sure. Uh, relative to some other regions in the UK. Do you think that's actually beneficial to the, you know, the overall 
technical development because obviously you know we're going into the future people are talking about automation artificial intelligence how is it going to knock out white collar workers so do you think what you're doing and what they're doing is potentially um beneficial for long-term survival of jobs yeah i mean obviously we're all working in uh, um uh, that environment i.e uh, mod um nuclear power uh, nuclear weapons um and those things with the are needed mm. and so in our market there's about 10 trillion every five years spent and it doesn't take an awful lot of a percent percent of a percentage to be an awful lot of money and then therefore create employment um so um what we're doing and what they're doing are at a different scale. Um, they're, they're obviously a lot closer to a client than perhaps we would be in terms of volume, but maybe not in terms of uh, capability. And so, um, you know, the company absolutely is providing stable employment and is growing, and uh, um, we want to uh, um, continue that and probably can. Brilliant. So you were mentioning... Uh the newspaper that you previously bought. Um, sure. So you have, uh, on the outside of the, the technology side, you have a media outfit. Can you tell us more about that? I purchased it in distress um, uh, for emotional reasons more than anything else. Um, uh, I wanted our news to be local. Uh, I wanted it to be produced locally and for the people uh, and support the local uh, a, a media economy as it were you know um, there was a big American company called NewsQuest who uh, were looking to purchase the paper they own the um, Westman Gazette uh, Westman Gazette Cumberland News so there's just us and them in Cumbria right um, and uh, um, they still have approached me a, a couple of times not so much recently but uh, um, early on they approached me please can we buy it please can we buy it because clearly they would have a, a monopoly in, in Cumbria but um they have a different style, perhaps, um, to, uh, um, they're a lot more commercial um, uh, than the Cumberland Westmont Herald was previously. Um, I bought it as well as a bit of a challenge to me to see uh, if I could turn around a business that was failing. Um, when I stepped in, it was losing £8,000 a week of that order. And uh, um, turning that round and, and making uh, it uh, into a success story was important to me. Um, I, I, I basically looked at the P&L and the, uh, um, the accounts on a plane journey out to America. And then on the plane journey on the way back, I kind of decided that I was going to make an offer. And then it happened pretty quickly after that. And we. And what have you? So on on the side of that, you also have Cumbria crack. Uh, is that right? Sure. Yeah. And that's more of a kind of entire region uh, website as well, is it? Yeah. I mean, I bought the Herald and it was clear that it had its own challenges um, and it needed volume, um, a volume of everything. Um, volume of people clicking on the website, volume of people purchasing its product. Um, and so... The Keswick Reminder um, oh, one, yeah. was, uh, what do you call it, uh, not printing in COVID. Um, 
and I thought it was important again for that community to continue to print. So we offered uh, the um, the proprietors of that business um, uh, some money to take it off their hands. They agreed, and we brought the Keswick Reminder back to being printed. It was a six-page um, uh, uh, publication once a week, and we tried to make it 12, which we succeeded in doing, and then um, give it a, a, a new look and style and feel. Um, a little bit more like uh, the, the Herald. But in, in doing that, um, we needed more journalists, um, which we got. Uh, we uh, needed to buy more papers because we were selling more papers. And all of the economies of scale, you know, um, of running two individual businesses kind of came together into one. So you only need, you know, one accountancy team. You only need one, um, what do you call it, journalism team, um, although there's more people in it. And so there was some economies of scale of that. And also it enabled us to buy the product cheaper. And so that was kind of part of the plan. Um, and Cumbria Crack uh, came about uh, through... Uh, That's a good name, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, came about through um, a, a guy who um, was had, had in, incepted it. Uh, he um, was running it from his um, house. Um, I think he was doing a really, a really good job. It was kind of an underground thing kind of thing where, you know, it was real news real quick. Mm. Um, and... Uh, uh, we saw that he had some really good numbers in terms of people looking at it. Um, and so we, we purchased that off him again. Um, I was a little reluctant. I was kind of pushed into it, and rightly so, by um, uh, a manager of the time. And but it is a different demographic, that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and that, that was uh, um, uh, one of the the big things, you know, if you looked at our online numbers, then um, it transformed them. It took them from being a hundred thousand people looking at what we had to over a million in uh, one transaction. Right, and uh, and also um, it gave us strength and depth to our uh, marketing ability. Um, because we could sell something that would uh, reach uh, a totally different gram demographic as the printed uh, uh, literature would be. And actually, the two of them combined mm. um, uh, quite a powerful narrative, I believe. And do you think, um, you know, um, traditional print and stuff has been declining overall uh, across the UK? How have you counteracted that with your amalgamation of all the different media? Well, first of all, I've tried to get the overhead to as low as I possibly can to enable us to um, uh, survive. But more than that, the team that exists there, I truly believe, really want to be there. And they really, truly believe in what they're doing. And, um, you know, they're totally focused on the area and what's going on in that area. And, and they feel very passionate about it. I mean, you, you take Fred, who's been our photographer for, um, I can say something out of turn here, for 45 years, I wow. think it is. It might be a bit more than that, oh, even. That's 74, I think he's, or 72. Yeah, so that'd be 50 bit. years nearly. Okay, so he's, you know, he's been in um, the ambassador of the paper for that length of time, you know, and 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 when it came to purchasing the Herald, I was absolutely wanted him to continue, and I still want him to continue, and uh, um, it's um, Steve Book who's about to retire. Uh, he's been there for forty-eight years, 
all of his working life he's worked in the paper and he, you know and, and he's seen some degree of change throughout of all all of that but uh, us purchasing a, a, a new property in the center of uh, Penrith and then uh, upgrading it and then and then keeping um, that um, newspaper in our community um, you know it's a value proposition, just like selling nuclear um, robots. Mm-hmm. Um, for our customers, we've got to get our value proposition right. We don't get it right all the time. Um, but we certainly are trying to improve and try different things and, and trying to be current as best we possibly can. So, I mean, with the combination of the different you know uh, companies that you've got under your belt now, um, do you think... Uh, that you've made uh, quite a big addition to the local area. Yeah, I'm trying to make an impact. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, impact. You know, and, and, and um, you know, we, we've got a ten-acre site that we've now got planning permission completely through in uh, um, just to the uh, east of uh, of Penrith, and it's my intention to uh, build a flagship site there. Brilliant. Um, um, Obviously, finances permitting, um, everything's gone up sort of forty percent in the last what they called it uh, oh, yeah. uh, to two, two years, which uh, obviously affects the bill cost. But it is our intention to continue with that and attract uh, uh, international and national work to our area. I'd like to see the both of my institutions grow. Um, uh, I think there's a better market chance with the uh, um, with the engineering. Um, I can see that easily getting to 250 employees with the level of work that we're currently bidding for at the present time. The Appleby site is pretty full now. You know, we uh, um, we haven't got an awful lot of uh, room to move. Um, and um, I think that uh, um, you've always got to be positive. And if you look at other newspaper titles, their readerships are falling dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, ability for them to uh, uh, influence the uh, community around them is is, is difficult for them. Um, we had a meeting actually with the Midlands News uh, um, um, uh, organisation and uh, I was looking at, I didn't say very much in it, but I was looking at the figures and um, they didn't have as much pull as, as we would appear to. And, and, and that's to our credit and, and credit of our team. But we need to do better. So what what are what are the future plans? Future plans for um, the the media company is to be uber what do you call it uh, local, mm-hmm. um, uh, get behind um, uh, events that happen, um, be professional, be more professional, create products that um, uh, encompass the tourism industry as well as the local industry. Um, provide information uh, that others won't or can't. So uh, we make ourselves as current as we possibly can to the people that want to engage with us. Brilliant. Have you got any um, parting words from our conversation today, Andy? Um, I think that uh, our area is an exceptionally beautiful place to live. Um, um Delighted that I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do in the bit of life that I've had here. Um, I want it to continue. Uh, I'd like my two sons to and um, to be successful in the area. Um, I think that uh, you don't have to go down to London uh, to enable you to have 
um, uh, business success. You know, anything's possible here. And uh, I'd like to think that uh, other people can um, have a, a look at what we've done and uh, think about their position uh, and, uh, and think, well, actually, he's had a go and he's, he's, he's managed to make it work. Maybe I can do that. And I think if you're professional enough in any industry um, that uh, you can get commercial success. Brilliant, brilliant. Andy Barr, thanks for joining us today on The Ferncast. <laughs>